So I just finished reading another book on Henry Singleton. Uh, this one's called Distant Force, a memoir of the Teledyne Corporation and the man who created it. So um, it's going to be a founder's episode uh, here very shortly. But um, Henry's had such an impact on the way I think because I just really do appreciate how he approaches life. Um, and there's just a ton of lessons uh, that I think everybody can learn from him. And it's just, um, I can't stop thinking about it. It's really, this happens, you know, you read a lot of books and you can never really predict which ones are going to have like a giant impact on you. And so um, he's already causing me to change a bunch of behaviors. So anyways, what does this have to do with what I want to talk about today? Which is, I decided, hey, let me go back. And uh, William Thorndike. I read his book, The Outsiders, eight, conventional, eight Unconventional CEOs and Their Radically Rational Blueprint for Success. And as the benchmark for like the, um, like the prototypical like maverick misfit founder slash CEO uh, that Thorndike uses for that book is, is Henry Singleton. So when he, was prom- when he wrote the book, he promoted it by giving a talk at Google and I decided, you know what, let me watch that talk. Um, and take notes. And so that's, that, that's where these notes are going to come from. So for, first, he, he points out something that I personally believe in. William talks about, he says, listen, if one company materially outperforms its peer group, then that is worthy of study. Um, so he's talking about Henry Singleton, but he's also talking about this, the other people that he profiles in his book. And he says the eight companies and CEOs profiled in this book each fit that pattern. He talks a little bit about like, some of the traits that they have in common. He says all eight were first-time CEOs. As a group, if you were trying to describe them, you would not use traditional CEO adjectives as charismatic, strategic, and visionary. Instead, you'd use words like pragmatic, flexible, opportunistic, dispassionate, rational, and analytical. So now I've read two books on Henry, read a bunch of his interviews, and in this Disenforced book, there's a lot of his uh, shareholder letters. So uh, those, those words, pragmatic, flexible, opportunistic, dispassionate, rational, and analytical, I think definitely um, gives you an insight into the way uh, Henry approached um, his life. All right, so it says, Henry Singleton is an interesting case. He outperformed the S&P 500 by 12-fold during his 30-year career. Uh, so he talks about something that corporate America um, is actually terrible at, but that Henry wasn't at. He said, corporate America, America as a group is, com- is a completely ineffective repurchaser of its shares. They have a perfect record of buying high and selling low. Uh, Henry Singleton was the exact opposite of this. Um, he talks about, I, I, I mentioned in the, the first podcast I did on The Outsiders that um, I've, I discovered Henry Singleton after I had done uh, like in-depth studies into Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett after I'd, I had read all of Warren Buffett's uh, shareholder letters. And what I thought were ideas that came from Buffett, I didn't realize he had learned them from Henry Singleton. So that's why I was called, that's why I started to call uh, um, Henry Singleton the proto-Warren Buffett. This is, very much, if you look at both of their careers, they, uh, they, they, they ha- share a lot of similarities. And uh, Warren Buffett's been on record, as has Charlie Munger over and over again. Uh, Warren Buffett said it's criminal that business schools don't, uh, study Singleton more. Um, he says if you took all the top business schools graduates in the country, the top 100, and added them together, you still wouldn't have a record as good as Singleton. And Charlie Munger has been known to say, um, he's been quoted as saying that uh, his his returns were utterly ridiculous. Uh, so he says, that, uh, so William's talking about Warren here. He says there's a distinction that Warren Buffett has uh, between something that is simple to understand versus easy to actually do. In late 2008, 2009, during that financial crisis, it was a scary period. Corporate America generally focused on husbanding resources given the uncertainty. So he's also, he's not really 
um, he's not criticizing them here. He's saying, you know, that's probably actually rational if you think about it. But he's pointing out the difference with what everybody else is doing and what Warren was doing. He says Buffett's actions were entirely different than that pattern. He was aggressively deploying capital. Uh, that is easy to understand, but requires a certain temperament to be able to actually implement in really difficult times. I did. A, uh, I read the biography of Hetty Green, uh, probably the largest single individual financier in the Gilded Age on Wall Street, and that's exactly her. Type. She had a very simple uh, modus operandi. I'm going to buy things when no one else wants them. I'm going to hold them for a very long time until everybody's clamoring to get them, and then I will sell them. And she became one of the richest people on the planet doing that. Again, that's more temperament because everybody does. That makes sense, right? It's easy to understand. But the point that Buffett makes, that Hedy Green makes, that Singleton makes, that Thorndike is now talking about here, it's, 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 there's one thing to understand something and one thing to actually do it. A it's completely different, right? Uh, he says, these CEOs did not spend a lot of time on investor relations. They didn't view that as a good use of their time. So that I highlighted that part. They didn't view that as a good use of their time. That is really where like Henry has like gotten into my brain and made me realize like I spend, I have a lot of things that I say with my mouth that are important to me. But then if you like write down what you think is important and then write down how you spend your time. And that's what Henry, he just didn't waste any time. He hated to waste time or money. Um, and so that's something I'm taking away from him. In addition to like his just ability to focus, I think like there's a benefit in isolation and not consuming all the same stuff that everybody else is. I think that's what gives the, um, I think over the long term, that's what's going to make founders podcasts extremely valuable, way more valuable than, than I think almost any other podcast on entrepreneurship is because most people are focused on like the here and the now and they're ignoring the literally hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of years of experiments that these people ran and the ideas that they came from that they got from experience. Like you, you can't learn that anywhere else. And we're just lucky that somewhere along the line, someone decided to write down what they learned in a book and we could pick it up and we could spend, you know, 15, 20 hours contemplating or meditating on what they're, um, on what they have to say. It's almost like it's a cheat code in a sense where like, okay, this person had a 50 year career and I can kind of get the highlights and the key insights in 15 or 20 hours. And if you listen to a founder's episode, maybe in an hour, you know, somewhere between an hour and two hours, um, so I don't know. I just, I can't, he's on to something. And I just feel like, like we've forgotten the value of our attention and focus because we have these, these centralized information networks that are, are masters at hijacking our attention to their benefit, not to ours. And I think about that a lot where, um, I told you, I heard the founders of Instagram, they're on a podcast. I understand like for the, the, the audience of this podcast for business owners. So they're talking about, you know, metrics. Well, how did you come up with the metrics that you, you can go back in my notes. You can read this yourself. It's uh, just search Kevin Sinstrom and I think you can find it. But um, he just said something that, that, you know, I find personally gross where he says like, we knew we were succeeding if the average user spent more, more of their time on the app every day. And so like we are, we, our time on this earth is like one unpredictable. We just saw this with the death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter and the other people in the helicopters. But, um, we also like, we, so we don't know how much time we have. And then like, we have people out there that, that their success is based on taking up more of that finite resources. Like that's a, imagine if like I could give you ideas, convey the ideas that I think are important on founders in an hour. And instead I'm going to make it 10 hours of your time. Like that's, that's, that's fucked up. I we just would never do that. So I, Singleton is just, he, again, he's in my brain. And if you read The Outsiders, if you read The Distant Force, if you listen to the podcast I'm, I'm doing on them, I want to start a public and one that'll be soon. Um, I don't know, man. That's uh, 
I can't, it's grabbed a hold of me and it's like, you know, don't let that idea pass, David. Don't, it's too important. Do not let that pass. Don't just be like, oh, that sounds good and, do, and don't change your behavior. So something I've been thinking a lot of lately. Uh, so anyways, they didn't view that as good use of their time. Talks about now uh, Thorndike is back on describing the different CEOs. He says the CEOs in the book were iconoclastic. They possess a strain of independence. They were comfortable doing th- things different than their peer group. This is, these are all traits that I want. I want this in myself. They were rooted in deep analytically based convictions. They did their own analytical work. They did the work, and, and more important to that, they did the work before that to be able to trust the, their own judgment. Um, which I think is, again, part of reading books and, and, and investing in yourself and, and spending the time doing this. You know, why are we all doing this? So I think that's one of the reasons. They did not rely on internal finance teams or external consultants. They were focused on optimizing value per share. Uh, Thorndike says, if you were asked, if I was asked to name an outsider CEO among the technology CEOs of the last 25 years, Jeff, Bezo- Jeff Bezos would be my choice. I believe he's optimizing for per share value five to 10 years out. He can afford that time frame because he owns a large percentage of the company himself. Uh, something I agree with that Thorndike also said. He says it's very interesting to see to hear our CEO talks about their business and how they write about it in their annual report. The, le- the note I left was I agree. I've read every single shareholder letter that written that Jeff and Warren have uh, Buffett have written. I didn't. I find that's a very valuable um, use of my time. I did bu- podcasts on both of those. If you haven't listened to them, go back and listen to them. They're fantastic. Um, the, not that the podcasts are fantastic. That's me tooting my own horn. That's not what I meant. I mean that the, the ideas in, in the, uh, shareholder letters are fantastic. Uh, he says outsider CEOs would optimize for the single metric they thought was most important. I always like that. Like if you have priorities, you really don't have, you have, uh, I just butchered that quote, but it's essentially like if you have more than one priority, you don't have uh, single, you don't have really have any priorities. It's saying, essentially saying you need to figure out what's the most important thing in your life and optimize for that. Um, and I think in the, the outsider CEOs, like they figured out what's the single most important thing that they drive their business forward. And if you focus on that thing above all else, you know, the score will kind of take care of itself. If you echo the, uh, the, the words of Bill Walsh, um, what I also realize is like in my own life, like I want to be good at a bunch of different things, but I can't be good at everything. So you have to subtract It's Um, one of my favorite quotes is credited to Bruce Lee, who knows if he ever said it, but, uh, he said, hack away at the, at the, uh, unessential. Like you, you progress by decreasing the amount of things you focus on, not increasing. So for me, it's like, I want to be a good dad. I want to be, uh, you know, I want to be really good at my craft. Um, and then I want to take care of my health. And so those are the things. And outside of obviously spending time with family and friends, like this is essentially how I spend almost all my time. Um, cause I know I, I'm not gonna be good if I don't spend a lot of time doing each one of those things. And I can't, you know, I have limited time. I'm only awake 16, 15, 16 hours a day. Um, okay. So it says they would optimize for one single metric they thought was most important example. We are running our business. He gives an example of, uh, I didn't catch who he was talking about, but he says we are running our business to optimize for one thing, reoccurring free cash flow per share. They moved to a single metric that was differentiated from what others in the industry were doing. And then finally he talks about, um, he was even talking about like maybe Google, he's given a talk at Google. He's like, you gotta be careful because Google and Facebook are making a lot of money. And so one time in the past, uh, the network CBS, was also doing the same thing. They were throwing off oodles and oodles of cash. And so Charlie Munger once referred to what was happening at CBS. He says it was prosperity blinded indifference to cost. And uh, Charlie Munger is obviously telling us that that is something that we want to avoid.